Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Skip Hill and S2H. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code advices for some additional savings. Uh, today, guys, we're going to start this thing out talking about bulking. Just everything bulking, all things bulking, all things gaining muscle. You know, the, uh, the things you don't want to do, the things you do want to do, Basically, we're going to talk about uh, avoiding the pitfalls that people uh, people tend to make when they're trying to uh, gain as much muscle as possible. So I've got Skip Hill and S2H here. Both of these guys have been in the bodybuilding industry for 20 plus years. We were talking about it before the show. I was thinking, so at this point, I know that I've, I can literally say that I've dieted thousands of people. Skip has coached professionally for like three to four times longer than I have. So it says a lot. Scott, I know you've helped a bunch of people. So we have a lot of implicit learning going that's happened here. And we're ah, gonna you like that? You I like that? You did there. I Through experience. And we're gonna share our experiences with you guys. So Skip, I wanna start out asking you, man, what's what's the number one issue that you see with people that come to you and they're like, Hey man, I wanna gain a bunch of muscle as much as possible. That's my goal. You know, take my money. I want to work with you. What's the big? What's the biggest hold hold up to that? I don't know if it's the biggest hold up, but the thing that happens the most often is they tend to think that this is going to be a calorie fest. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna stuff them full of as much food as possible right out of the gates, and we're gonna start moving um, retarded. And that's I use that term. I know I don't want to offend S two H, but retarded amounts of weight and and just you know start moving mountains that sort of thing so um i won't jump into insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity right away i'll wait but i'll get there because it's so it's such a big deal to me um we, we i know i pretty much have made that point i think it's catching up with the fact that i've trained for how many years now s2h how many what i've trained for how many years now uh you've been training for uh, 38 years. Thank you. I appreciate that you are keeping up on the math. That's impressive. But I'm 39 years. So I'm, I'm ahead of you. <laughs> exactly. 38 and a half. Um, so I, I think that's probably the, I don't even know if it's, I don't want to call it a misconception, but I think that that probably categorizes it or labels it quite well. Um, and it also depends where the client is coming from. Is the client already in the middle of an off season? Is the client coming off a show? Is the client lean? Is the client, you know, uh, overweight? So there's going to be there's a lot of discussion that can happen. I think it's going to be harder for us to contain it and discuss it um, specifically in in a relatively small amount of time because this is a topic that could go on. And I mean, we could talk about this every freaking show for that matter yeah. and a different component of it. So I was trying to lead you to see if you would if you were going to go down the same wavelength I, I had initially thought. Because here's one thing, and I know, and I I, I have some questions. We can dig into it a little bit. But I've had people that want to grow and they come to me and that their body fat's too high to add more calories. And I've had that more often than not where someone like, let's talk. What's like, I feel like the opposite of a good place to be is they're already like 20% body fat. They just finished a big cycle. They're like, well, I've been on DECA for the last 10, you know, the last 20 weeks. And, uh, 
you know, I've had, I've been running, uh, it, it, you know, whatever, you know, Anadrol for the last 10 weeks. And I want to get started with you now because I've been trying, but I'm just not gaining enough muscle, you know. Well, that, that comes back to the what I was talking about earlier and said I would get to it shortly. Apparently, I'm going to get to it sooner than later. All right. That's the insulin sensitivity issue. And if you're already pushing a lot of calories and your body is already storing those calories as body fat, then your insulin sensitivity is going to be shitty. And when your insulin sensitivity is shitty or your insulin resistance is high, you're not going to be as much in a phase that is where you're open to growing versus gaining body fat. And that's why I think a lot of people think, well, it's better to get lean and then grow because then you can see the changes and everything. That's just a side effect. You're getting lean primarily to increase well, a couple of reasons. It should be health too, but it rarely is. It's typically about gains with a Z hashtag gains with a Z, uh, maybe even a couple of Z's. Do, do anyway, people still do that? I don't know, but Scott, I Scott, do you do that? Do you do it. the hashtag? No. Scott does. No? Yeah, he does. Three Z's actually. <coughs> anyway, Z's sleep. Yeah. That's the the main reason you want to get leaners to increase insulin sensitivity, because as you do that, then the growth, that's why a lot of people, and I've touched on this before and I get it, I understand, but we have new listeners and all of our listeners that may not have listened before you, as you get leaner and you even potentially recomp as you're getting leaner, a lot of people will start growing again or growing better or more than when they were heavier. And that is an insulin sensitive insulin resistance issue more than anything. And it proves the point over and over every time it happens. So you get leaner to increase insulin sensitivity. So that the muscles are actually using what you're providing and using the calories because anything in excess, it's like, it's going back to that antiquated, just throw on as much weight as you can and get as big as you can. There are those gifted genetically predisposed guys who are just going to grow damn near no matter what they do. And you throw in more calories, they're going to get bigger, but that isn't us as a rule. That's a small portion or a minority of the group of bodybuilders who want to get huge so you're better off coming at it even if you don't know where you stand maybe you think you might be gifted come at it the from the the standpoint or the the perspective that you're not gifted and if you're gifted let it take off on you even more yeah, yeah. because if you're gifted you t- and this is the bitch with being gifted you don't learn as much about nutrition about gear about training and I'm, I'm not going to get off a tangent, but I'm going to say this to make a point. There's a guy at the gym. He's an awesome, super cool guy. Tall. Body fat is probably a true 8%. He bounces around. He does 20 sets of legs. He does 10, 15 sets of back. He does. And he's leg curling at like 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six, leg curling the whole fucking stack. But he's doing kind of a circuit thing. This guy is so gifted, and I, I've said to my client, Juan, I'm like, you know, I'd love to take this guy under my wing and teach him, but he doesn't need to be taught yet because everything he's doing is working. Outside of injuring himself, he needs to go until it doesn't work. That's the genetically gifted. That's one out of maybe 100 if you're lucky. It's probably more like one out of 500. The rest of us have to learn and be as incredibly efficient as possible. Yeah. Yes, it that reminds me. I worked with the, probably the the best guy that I ever worked with. We trained together, and I tried to show him how to like bring more intensity and stuff. This is a couple of years back, and then reflecting on it, I just I, afterward I was like, you know what, man, don't really just keep doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know. Which was kind of like he would he would do like a kind of you know like a chest and chest and triceps, back and biceps, uh, shoulders and 
then a legs, and then he would repeat and do like a he would do a full body at the end of the week, like you know, just like he did whatever he wanted. And it's like, you know what though? He's he looks better than anybody in this gym right now. You know, right? I don't know, Scott. What's your thoughts here, man? Like, you know, what's what was the original question? What's the well? Okay, well, we're talking about bulking, and the original question I asked was, what are some of the pitfalls that you run into uh, when somebody comes to you and and they they want to bulk? And the reason I asked that was because I'm trying to look at you know. Where do you want someone to be? What's an, an ideal position? Okay. If I came to you and I'm like, Scott, man, I want to grow as much muscle, what would be, a be the best position for me to be in? Well, I'll take it from two angles. If it's a, something, I've, like, something I've worked with before in the past, especially multiple times. Um, so I just had somebody who was a, has been a client on and off for years that signed back up the other day. And um, I know him, him real well. Yeah. Been through a bunch of, bunch of plans together. So something like that, and I know what if they have some body fat on them, uh, a little bit, maybe leaving a little bit more than 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 somebody I didn't know for a first time. I could go a different direction, you know. I, I would know where to go with them right away. But let's say someone came in and they were 20 percent, 20, somewhere around there, didn't have any abs. I'd never worked with them. I mean, I, I always go with the let's break it down first, you know, because I got to see what you got, you know. If you're watery, you kind of got some body fat, we probably want to break some of that down. It comes with the insulin part too, but you also want to see where they're at physique-wise a little better if you can't get a good idea. Uh, maybe they have pictures and stuff from prior that they've competed that can help you. But I kind of tend to like, if I think they're in that what I call gray area, body fat, where it might be not too much, but not quite where you want to start from, we might want to just go, let's say, four weeks and, and – cut a little bit of that body fat off, then start to work up from there. But I think one of the biggest pitfalls a lot of people think is there's going to be like massive changes uh, in supplement use, um, which is, isn't really necessary all the time, or that their diet is going to become um, friendly to them. You know what I mean? To where it's, uh, you know, they're, they get cheat meals all the time and stuff. So, you know, I don't think the diet, depending on what diet they're on, it may not have to change a whole lot. I think a lot of people just change stuff to change it. You know, I'm kind of like, look at it like, okay, if you hire me, that doesn't mean I have to change your entire program. You know, I mean, there's got to be parts of it that are working. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of people think they're going to have like this, this huge, like, you know, like everything's just going to be brand new and, and massive and mm -hmm. food's going to go up and drugs are going to go up and, and I'm gonna tell them to go squat till they can't get off the floor every day. And you know, it if it's working for them, like you said, if they have a pretty good physique, then I like to do more incremental changes. Yeah. And then kind of build up because you can screw somebody up too. I mean, especially if it's somebody never worked with before. Maybe they come in and they, they got a little turtle shell and they're looking pretty good. And you're like, Oh, I can feed this guy up and all of a sudden in six weeks he's getting fat, you know, because really that really wasn't his body really can't handle it, you know. That's a good so point, think, man. You know, small changes are better. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I've seen that too, where I think in nowadays too, if I can, that's I think anybody coming in, I I think you're making a, a huge statement there. Yeah, people do expect you to change things up, but sometimes, you know, well, like you said, you know, especially somebody who's been at this for a while, if they already have a fixed diet, you know, they're they're consistently eating the same things and I, the way I've always put it is that that's the recipe that creates what we have right here. 
maybe we just want to tweak that recipe, you know? I mean, maybe yeah, they, there's... They got the cake. Let's put a little icing on top. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what do we need to do now to adjust it? You know, are you making progress? You know, what do we need to do now to adjust? I think that's a, that's a really good point. So what about the, what about the gear then, Scott? What do you think is, I think nowadays I've been hearing a lot of people talking about using less anabolics in the off season um, in, in that you don't need as much to grow as maybe you'd want to run until say like your, your diet contest season. Uh, what are you, what are your thoughts overall there? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the mentality, a lot of people is, all right, I'm at a bulk. There's two times in people's plans. They think they got to take on a lot of drugs. That's when they're going to start bulking and when they're getting close and cutting for a show, you know, and I think there's some merit to increase with some people, but you know, first of all, if it's somebody you never worked with, you got to figure out what they're doing anyway. Or if they're if they're willing to do what you know, I, I always like to, you know, you always want to keep the client in perspective. You don't want to be you you don't want your content to be out of their context. So if they don't want to do something, then you you know you can't go. Hey, I need to take a gram of this. Well, I don't want to take a gram of this. You know, so that's something you got to clear the air with right away. But I don't. I think people in general overdo the whole supplement plan anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's just, it's just gets, it gets to a point where the more is better is not better. And it could actually be detrimental to their game, you know, to what they're trying to do in the long run. Yeah. Cause you know, you know, I think people still get on the internet and read people saying I gained 40 pounds in a year. There ain't nobody gaining 40 pounds of muscle in a year. It is not going to happen, you know? Um, and they, and that scale weight thing too is another thing. You know, don't judge. I'd rather have somebody gain if they bulked for 20 weeks and they gained, you know, five or six pretty good pounds. I'd be I'd be pretty happy with that. But a lot of people judge that scale weight too too much. Well, let's go there then. Yeah, does the scale need to increase, guys? You know, Skip, does the scale need to increase, or it's got it doesn't necessarily need to increase, and that's where recomping comes comes into play and everything else. And you know, you're talking about the um, implied or uh, what was your phrase again? Um, oh, implicit learning. Implicit learning, and this word. is a this is a good example of that. One of the micro gauges as to whether you're growing is if you're increasing strength within bodybuilding rep ranges, you have to be growing. Now, are you growing huge and every? That's debatable, but you're growing nonetheless. So, you know, let's say that you're holding your weight at two two thirty, but you and you've held your weight for eight weeks. If you've held your weight weight at eight weeks at two thirty, and you have throughout that entire eight week period been continuing to increase your reps and or weight within bodybuilding rep ranges, you're probably going to come out of those eight weeks leaner at that 230 because you're growing enough tissue to offer. It's essentially a classic recomp. And I will say this till I'm blue in the face. I cannot stand when people, and especially when other trainers, it's just so rudimentary to me. When they say that recomping, that you can't lose body fat and gain muscle tissue at the same time. That if, if you hear anybody say that, just, just, and especially if it's a trainer, just tune them out, shut them down, and and go to another trainer. And I'm not talking about you don't have to come to me. Just go to another one because that's just a, a horrible way to look at it. It's, it's just backwards. It is more difficult, and I think that's why people tend to put on weight uh, when they gain muscle mass or when they're in a gaining phase because we always err on the side, well, if it's not enough, maybe I'm just going to do a little bit more just to make sure. 
<clears throat> a little bit more is not the issue. It's when it becomes and shows the patterns that we were talking about uh, before we went live that that will tell whether you're you know whether you're gaining or whether you're progressing or not. So, yeah, it's it's huge. You can stay at that level. You can stay and get leaner. You can recomp. You know, I don't even like to let's put it this way. I would rather or I prefer to recomp a client who's too heavy and is going into an off season phase than to just strip off a bunch of fat. Because when you do get into a very restricted or into a caloric deficit that is quite restrictive, then it is very difficult to grow at all. You, you know, at that point you need to hang on to the muscle that you have. Well, they're not coming to you to hang on to the muscle they have. They're coming to you to grow, even though you think that it may well, and, it, and you might be right, that it's better for them to lean down. Um, they're carrying too much body fat, even from a health standpoint, and they're going to become in, more insulin sensitive, which is going to help with their growth. But you still want them growing, if at all, and that's where the recomp comes into play. So the scale weight absolutely does not need to go up. Now, if, if we're talking about six months, nine months, you know, a longer duration, and you're into the off season. The scale should probably be going up unless you were just your body fat level was really high when you started that phase. Mm, yeah, I could I could think of I, I just thought of something that's probably a good example for what I'm saying. Kind of what Skip's saying. I had a guy one time. He, he actually did a couple couple shows with me. He was about five eight. He walked around about two twenty, two three somewhere around there. He had a really hard time making one ninety eight. But he kind of was a little bit not big enough to go up a weight class, so he had that kind of tweener thing going. Yeah. And so we did a we did a year off, and his scale weight only went up. I want to say like four or five pounds total, and he was he was not happy with that. But when he when we brought him back down for the next show, he was two oh eight, and he looked better than he did at one ninety eight. So he had actually he actually had not gained hardly any weight, hmm. you know, just four or five pounds, whatever it was over his off season weight before, but he came in, you know, looking much better. And, you know, obviously to get, to get him to 198, we had to really push the hammer. Yeah. Um, we didn't push the hammer that far at 208, but he looked better at 208 than he did at 198. So, you know, that's to me, that's like a perfect recomp or, or, or off season because he didn't get fat he was concerned because his weight in years past his weight has skyrocketed 30 pounds 40 pounds you know off season but pounds over with less way less um manipulation to get him to make he, you know, of course he didn't have to make weight at that 208 but it, you know i had it we had to manipulate him quite a bit to get him in at 198 yeah so you know man gary turner you know he went up over 300 pounds this past off season and um he ended up you know we, we we had talked a little skip and i did it was we were on text and it was maybe a month out from north americans and you were the one who brought it to my attention you're like you know gary turner hasn't posted anything in a while is he doing all right and i texted him i don't know if i told you or not because i didn't want to just like start no. talking he said he was like, no, I'm all right. He was like, I just didn't want to, you know, put my head in that space. He wanted to focus on what he needed to do. And he said, yeah, by the way, he said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be coming down to heavies. So, oh. so he was grinding Gary Turner. I think he hit like 309 in his off season. And uh, he just was like, I mean, it, it was really inspirational. He inspired a lot of people on, mm -hmm. uh, you know, think big and advices. 
he inspired me to, to there was one of the reasons, honestly, was after talking to him, I felt like, yeah, fuck yeah, man, I should, I should try harder. You know, I should push up. That was a year ago. And I, I'm 40 pounds up from that now, not Gary Turner level up, but he ended up bringing it back down all the way down to he. I don't know what he weighed at the show. I'm going to talk to him probably later this week, but he weighed 225, you know, or, and was or that under. North Americans at North Americans. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and I saw he made a post. He's like, I'm not going to try to get too far out of this shape. You know, he's like, I want to grow, but I'm going to try to maintain this because it was probably, and he, he did that quick too. Cause I know he worked with Palumbo and he said that he, uh, he, I, I remember him at like 12 weeks out. He still had a lot. Like he was still, I can't remember what he weighed there, but I want to say it was like in the two seventies, you know? He took off. I mean, like, you're talking almost a hundred pounds, ninety yeah. pounds. That's off, off the top of my head. I'm really glad to hear you say that. That's what he said. Um, I don't know the guy on a personal level, but there's something that I like. I just like about him. He just seems like a a likable guy. He's very passionate. Yeah. Uh, he just oozes bodybuilding intensity, and you can just tell it's a. It's just a, it's his thing. And, and it's, it might, might not be who he is, but he is in the trenches. He's a, he's a, in my opinion, he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah. And it was concerning because I just thought to myself, I don't, not only do I not know if that's needed, I respect his approach. Don't get me wrong. That's some hardcore shit. But I was just more concerned that something was going to happen to the guy um, being that heavy. Now, if he were going to co- come in and compete in the, you know, at 250 or something like that. But I didn't anticipate that because I knew his background was um, not, you know, competing that heavy. But then I thought, you know, maybe he made some huge chance. I mean, this guy is bigger than a, what do you want to say, sh- brick shithouse? How do you say it? I don't know. Dude, something but I like saw that. him, I have a picture of me and him at the Olympia together. He was so freaking huge. I mean, he was massive like he was like monster huge you know yeah and i think he's one of those guys too one of those structures that he can carry that size mm-hmm. because his body fat is stored relatively evenly throughout his body where i would have d cups hanging down to my waist <laughs> you know i'd have side boob like peter griffin i'd be able to lick my own titties i mean it it would be really really bad hold your wallet or anything and let's just say, yeah exactly let's just take the the gear component out because I know nothing about his gear use as far as I'm concerned as far as I know Gary could be natural so let's put that aside for a second but just the stress on the body from dropping that much weight you know I think about the adrenals and just how taxing it is on the CNS to be able to maintain not maybe not maintain but you know how hard he was training in the off season and it's hard to step away from that he's, he didn't all of a sudden start training easy so to drop all that weight it that in and of itself is just a massive massive stress on the body too so you talk you start talking about things like autoimmune system and where you know where is your immune system going to be mm. and then are you going to rebound from there and get big again so i'm glad to hear that he's not that and i think he can grow i i think that the large majority of people can grow very very well relatively relatively lean not shredded lean not yeah. Eight percent, and you know, and, and to, for perspective, so that people understand the numbers that I'm throwing out. And you guys tell me if you agree or disagree, but I feel strongly that the large majority of people who step, let's just use Nate Spear as an example, okay? Mm-hmm. R- just ridiculous conditioning, okay? This guy, it, it's almost painful to watch him take third because his con- I, I yeah. feel like his conditioning alone should be rewarded so much more because of the work that goes into it and that, that type of conditioning. But anyway. Um, 
his his level of body fat from a true body fat standpoint is probably low fives. Okay, people talk about two, three, four, and you know maybe it's five and a half, maybe it's five point seven, but the point is it's somewhere probably in the fives because that is ridiculously low body fat levels. So people, when they talk about things like you know seven and eight, seven and eight percent is you know like six weeks out for most people. It is it, and sometimes it's better condition then people will be on stage. So when you're talking about 10%, you're talking about still having vascularity in your quads, full on abs. Um, There's plenty of separation. You're gonna see hamstrings separate from, you're gonna see the difference between the hams and the glutes, even though the glutes aren't shredded. You're gonna see the difference between the hams and the the quad from the side. You're gonna be in really, really good condition at 10%. So when people talk about going up over 15 and 17%, Make no mistake, that really is fat from a bodybuilding standpoint, in my opinion. That is fat. And I don't think that the large majority of people need to be anywhere near that to grow optimally. And I feel that it actually goes against them. I can't give a number. People might be listening and going, well, then what do you think is the most optimal number? Everybody is different. Some people can grow sub 10 or at 10% and be in really good condition and they can grow relatively well. Then there's other people who do have to be higher. Maybe they have to be at 12% or 13%. But once you start to get higher than that, I really think that's when you're getting into the insulin sensitivity versus resistance. And most people aren't going to grow that well at that point. The only way you do is if you're gifted to where you can stay sensitive with a higher level of body fat. And that is, it's almost counterintuitive. It, it, it's contradictory. It, it is such a small percentage of people that it's not even really worth <laughs> yeah. putting any time in the discussion. Yeah. Scott, let me ask you, man. So what do you think is now? And of course, everyone's unique. Everybody is different. Let's assume that that the majority of people watching the show have been doing this for a while. Let's take me. Okay. I, a guy like me, I've been training for a long time and I want to grow some real muscle. If I were to bust my ass for the next year, What's an average number that you could see me gaining if I if I really killed it? In muscle? In in like actual muscle, not like just. Is this me already knowing way. knowing you pretty well? You, say me, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, just on average, so. three pounds, three pounds, four pounds, four pounds. Maybe. See, four I'd go pounds. higher than that, but again, it's a it's a no one's right or wrong. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not saying Scott's wrong, but if I you're would say more. I, I think you're higher. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me coach you for a year. You'll probably lose four pounds. <laughs> I th- no, I think three or four pounds is, is probably. I mean, I'm a, okay. I, maybe that's a maybe with Scott. He's more. I think he's. You know, I, I would still say three or four pounds average, but I'd say maybe he could get a pound or two more. But I mean, I I don't see most people getting true like. 10 double digit gains now that's someone, pretty rare now maybe someone who's a little less experienced would it be different say a guy who's been we'll say training for a few years been we'll say spent, how about this they've been training for five years they've been cycling for the last two years they just did a contest and now they're going to try to gain you know now we're going to move up to heavies you know is the, is the thing they have in their minds i'm going to gain 25 pounds how much can that guy I'm gonna, gain i'm going to take my statement back at three or four pounds if you gave me a pretty decent, above average, gifted like seventeen-year-old male, yeah. you could probably you could definitely do more than three or four pounds. I think actually a, a 17, 16, 17, 18 year old male with with decent genetics is probably with no drugs is probably you can put the most weight on. I won't you know? disagree with that. I think honestly it comes down to 
Uh, there are obvious, there are a ton of different factors, but yeah. the reason I think that Scott could gain more than that is because I know his level of the of as far as his ability to execute and to do things optimally. And really, what it comes down to is optimization. You can work by yourself, and if you have everything optimized, then that's great. You don't have to work with anybody else. You can do it yourself. But it's about optimization. You're talking so, about growth hormone, right? Yeah, exactly, and tons of gear and everything else. But no, what I'm saying though, in general, is just that. If everything is, I, I came at this question a little bit more assuming that everything was going to be perfect. Like how much could I gain if everything was perfect? Everything was completely optimized, as efficient as possible. The recovery was dead on. Yeah. <clears throat> the sleep was as important as the training. Um, I wasn't going to go on vacations and, you know, eat like a hog, things like that. I can execute. I'm not going to go off and have pizza with my buddies and, you know, a few beers, that sort of thing, uh, you know, every other weekend. I think if everything were optimized, I think Scott could push higher. If it was his, it, it just he was just eight, locked in. I do think six. I would go six or eight. Okay. I might be wrong. I mean, look, I'm not. All I'm saying is I think it's a high, and I'll tell you why. Because I still think the three to four range is for can still happen with people who are not completely optimized. I think that they can still mm. bust their ass and get three, four, five pounds out of it. Um, you know, as far as gains in a year pure muscle tissue okay i know i don't want i don't want people to go oh my god only five pounds or only three pounds but you have to look at it from the you know this is a this is a marathon this isn't a fucking sprint we're not when i'm responding and talking about things and this is the same with s2h and, and you scott we're talking about the average person yeah. not the gifted genetically superior guy who can just brush his teeth and he has to do it with both arms because one will get bigger than the other Everything has to be optimized for the large majority of us. So yeah. I do think that if it's not, you can still get three, four, five pounds, if you, especially if you haven't been training for very long. But then, of course, as the years pile on, uh, yeah. that potential for growth comes down substantially. As in, get into decades, it gets even worse. But it, it's, I do. I think that if everything is optimized, I think that if someone can execute and they've got everything dialed in, I think they could push that six to eight. Could be a little, you know, could be a little bit more, could be a little less, but I wouldn't be surprised if it fell within that six to eight range. Let me ask you this, Scott. How much did you weigh 10 years ago? 10 years ago? Uh, maybe uh, 170 something? How much do you weigh now? 230. So let's say 180 to 230. It's 50 pounds. That's five pounds a year. Well, I know, but that's an oversimplification. I get what you're saying, and I understand your point. But every progressive year is going to be less, typically, unless like all ten of a years ago. Ten years ago, I was more like I was heavier than that because I was already competing. So I'm, I'm, yeah. But I get your point, and that's a good thing but, to say too, yeah. though, because yeah, five pounds doesn't sound like a lot if you're like, oh, because we see all these people that are like, I gained forty pounds in three months, you know, but. You know, in the reality, five pounds in a year, and like Skip said, it's a marathon. So let's fast forward five years. That's 25 pounds more muscle. Now, let me ask you this. So five pounds of real muscle, what does that equate to in walking around weight? Because that's a lot more than five pounds, right? Yeah, I mean, that's completely different. Sure. That, that can, no, that could vary tremendously. You know, I mean, you know, you, you could, I could gain five pounds of muscle in a year, but I could also gain 20 pounds of fat on top of it. You know, and hold a and water weight and all that other stuff. You know, so I, I don't know. If, I don't know if the I don't know if the if the muscle weight gain always can dictate what the total weight is. Hmm. I don't, you know. Yeah, I think you make a, you make a good point. I would go even further, and I would say this: five pound gain in muscle tissue 
this is just my opinion. And if you guys disagree, I want to hear. Um, I think five pound gain in muscle tissue is going to look more impressive walking around than it is on stage. Yeah. I think on stage, honestly, and, and I, I tell my competitors this all the time. I think that moving up a weight class is overrated until you're at the top of that weight class again. Huh. And, and I really, cause I really think that if you take someone who's, let's just say they're a light heavy and they're 195 pounds yeah. and you take, and you take, and I'm not talking about judging them, like putting them next to each other. I'm just saying one picture next to the other, or if you could actually see them live, you know, and, and then right next to them, see the, them live at say 15 pounds or 12 pounds heavier, you're going to have a hard time seeing that difference. If the if everything else is the same, the condition is the same, and everything else, it's going to be hard to tell the difference. You have to jump damn near a full weight class before there's a strong or obvious dramatic change visually when you're standing on stage. I'll I'll, I'll argue that because I feel like five pounds is not going to be a big difference. I'll agree, but I'll say if you could get, and I guess it depends on how big of a jump it is too. Like if you're if you're 150 and then you're 160, yeah. that's going to be a lot bigger than, you know what I mean? Okay. Then, yeah, fair than enough. 200 sure. to 210. But I'll say that, uh, I'll say that I think 10 pounds, at least for, a, let's say a light heavyweight who goes to 210, you know, if 10 pounds would be a big difference, you know what I mean? I'll tell you what, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to stand my ground. I don't think it's that big of a difference, but I will say this. If you're at the top of your weight class and instead of thinking constantly, oh my God, I got to get to the next weight class. I got to get to the next weight class. And you just focus on improving your condition yeah. and coming in right at the top of your weight class. You could do that for like three or yes. four years and get remarkably better like yes because when you change your condition just a little bit and then that allows for a couple more more pounds of muscle because you that's, weigh the same that's good then you're talking dramatic night and day like judges will be like the fuck that's where terrence that's ruffin's getting now so terrence ruffin didn't have to make weight in the past like he just was fine and he started working with john meadows who's they've been pushing his weight up higher and i know that he had to he had to like cut water out for a few hours, maybe stop eating for a couple hours to make the Arnold. Mm -hmm. So not, sure. not a big deal, but it was the first time you ever had to stop. And I remember we were hanging out with uh, John when Terrence called and Terrence called and he made weight and he was like, Oh, he was like, yeah, that's cool. You know? And of course it was a sigh of relief for John, although he knew it was going to happen, but he was like, right. but John told us and he's like, that's not going to happen at the Arnold. We're going to have to, we're going to have to grind him down. <laughs> and the dude's growing too. I've got a, I got right. a podcast with him. We're putting out here too. That might be out before this one, but yeah, the guy's growing, man. And yeah, it's, it's going to be And Once you get there, you're not done. You know what I mean? Like once you, right. once you have to struggle a little bit to make weight, you really find out how much you can struggle. You know what I mean? Sure. Especially at the national level because there's so much time. Yes, that's between a the weigh-in. Explain that. Yeah, huge. The oh God, it's it's night and day. I mean, and I feel sorry for the two twelve guys. I just spit on my screen. Like I can see it. It's damn near right on your head, Scott. Sorry about that. You can't Thank see you. it. But anyway, it's like magnified and anyway. It, it, the two twelve guys, I feel really bad for. You know, Manny was the uh, at the New York Pro last weekend in Tampa, and they had to weigh in the night before, and I think mm. that's rough because that is so limiting on the things that you can do at the last minute versus two and a half days out where you can weigh in, suck down, get dry as shit, you know, push yourself underneath that weight, and then have plenty of time to not only for for 
you know, obvious reasons of filling out for the show, but also from a health standpoint, uh, it's just that much better to have that time. So when you have to weigh in the night before, it's it's night and day night and day difference and it's far more limiting because you basically have to be in condition and ready to step on stage or very very close to it that friday night when you weigh in because there's not enough time to do much after i mean you, you might have five maybe six hours to make some changes and to load and then you're up the next morning you got about a meal and you're going to be staged yeah. and pumping up or ready to go so that's so the, there's, the there's state level so it's the state level is going to be usually nowadays the night before. I remember when we weighed in the morning of for the state uh-huh. level. Yeah. We used to always Absolutely. do that. I think they got it like they wanted to streamline it a little bit because the morning shows took so long when you had to do all the check-ins in the morning. So, but yeah, yeah you, they never took long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah. but but now you get that you get that you get that night before, so it's not much time. Junior nationals, junior whatever the national shows they usually do Wednesday. You said so that's. That's a lot of time. Well, and there's usually not just the weigh-in, but then there's an optional weigh-in the the day prior. So oh. sometimes you can end up with an extra damn near 24 hours. Yeah. So it's just huge. And for that reason, I always – and it's part of the reason that at the national level – I think it's a lot of the reason that you see people go from the national level when they're pro card. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, they're 20 pounds bigger. And, of course, that's an obvious change. Like, oh – Boy, when they got their pro card, they started training harder. No, they just didn't have that limiting weight cut off, unless, of course, they stayed in the 212s. Which, think about it. When you turn pro and then you go to the 212s, there's not much of a difference there. There's not going to be much of a jump. And I understand why they're doing it. They're doing it to keep the physique smaller and the, and the waist smaller, things like that. But, look, now with classic and everything else, just let the 212s prepare just like the open. They yeah. should be able to do that. I think that, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, I'm not running the show obviously. So, um, but I do, I think that's huge. And, and I, I encourage all competitors to, 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 instead of going up or thinking that the, the next move to get huge is to go up to the next weight class, stay as long as you can until you just really can't stay in that weight class anymore. And just continue to improve your conditioning. and Because, again, if you take off two pounds and you replace it with two pounds of muscle, it's day and night difference. And then you're competing at the top of the weight class versus being outsized. Think about it. It's not even just the cutoff from, say, 198 to um, 224. It's the guys that are 234, 232, and they're sucking down at the national level to 224 and then filling out again. It's what you weigh on stage, really. It, or what you look like on stage, not what you weigh in two and a half or three days prior to the show. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very yeah. limiting. So run that, run the top of that weight class as long as you can possibly run it. Scott, you got you anything? Know, what's, what's yeah? What's kind of funny though is uh, I was thinking of powerlifting. It's the complete opposite because most competitors don't want to go up weight classes. Mm. You know, so it's kind of like the opposite because you know, especially between some of the the top three classes. You're looking at big strength differences generally mm. between the competitors. So, you know, in powerlifting, you know, you don't cut like bodybuilding, you know, that you're, that's just asking for an injury. So, you know, I can remember being at certain weights where, you know, at one time I had, I had a really hard time making this weight, but if I was to make the jump up, I would go from, you know, top three lifts to crap. Yeah. Right. Because it was a 20, 27 pound difference. Yeah. yeah, I say I, the one's over thirty, isn't it? Like two forty-two to two seventy-five. Yeah, and, and you got super. Uh, you got op- 
open top above that. So unless you're in the top class, the big boys, you know, 275 and over, you know, guys don't want to make jumps. And I, I know a bunch of guys, power lifters, especially if you're in, you know, three lift meets, um, you, you know, if you're a bench centric only person or something that can vary because guys can have really big benches at lighter weights sometimes but when it comes to pulling deads and squatting, it's very difficult. You don't see guys other than like Dan Green's an exception, I would say, that are lifting the weight of a weight class above them or or even better than some of the guys. It's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, he's really the, one of the only ones I can think of right off the top of my head that, that is able to do that in multiple lifts. But, uh, yeah, you really don't – and it's tough because especially if you're young, like in your early 20s and you're getting into powerlifting and you're growing, you get caught in this gap, you know, that – Kind of like wrestling. Know, yeah. It's just, you know, if it's up in wrestling, you can cut weight. Yeah. Like drastically, because I wrestled. I mean, you can do some really drastic things. But uh, in powerlifting, you know, you don't have a lot you can do. There's some stuff you can do to manipulate your weight, but it's not anywhere near as what you can get away with in wrestling or in bodybuilding. And, and be healthy and not get injured, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, we got, I think, a lot of good stuff here. We do have a bunch of listener questions, so uh, we can move on to those. If, of course, if anybody has any feedback on this, you know, comment below. Let us know your thoughts on balking. You know, what have, what has worked for you? Uh, and by the way, I haven't mentioned it, but if you haven't uh, done so, you should subscribe to the YouTube channel. And, uh, of course, if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Hit the like button. I'll start over here um, at the live feed and see what we've got. Uh, somebody asked how my shoulder's doing. It's doing good. I'll throw that out there while I try to find our first. It's doing, it's doing well. It's doing, uh, it's doing well and it's doing good. Skip. <laughs> it's doing well and it's really, really good. Chipper, skipper. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got one here. This was from Patrick Moore, our Patrick Moore, not he said the he said no I'm white. Why well, is is this Patrick Moore? And then I looked at his question. Uh, he says um, I know that's this is so the, the this is the I white even... Patrick Moore. He says yeah. uh, please stand up. Please when is it up. too late? <laughs> when is it too late to repair that, a torn pec? He has a muscle rupture, not the tendon. I, I didn't hear the question. Of course you didn't because you weren't listening. I was talking actually. My apologies. <laughs> Why am I on this podcast? Go ahead. <laughs> oh shit! What, how his pec is torn? Yeah, he yeah, tore his, his pec, pec is torn, but not at the tendon. He it's says, in, it's in, "When is it too late for a pec tear repair?" He said that it's a muscle rupture, not in the, uh, yeah, not in the tendon. When is it like too late to get fixed, or too late in age? Too late to get fixed. To get fixed. Yeah. Man, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a orthopedic surgeon. I, was, I don't know. That's I mean, if it's, tor- if it's torn, fix it. I mean, there's plenty of guys that have had partial tears that, I mean, cosmetically it could look kind of jacked up if you don't get it fixed. I mean, depending on the tear. Yeah, and yeah. Patrick, if you're still uh, watching, feel free to chime in. How long's it been? And I would suggest, yeah, he just goes in ASAP, gets that look, get it evaluated at least. Actually, you can't fix a you can't fix a tear in the muscle, can you? I think it's, See, I don't, if it, I don't you know. can if it's if you can if it's off the I mean if it's a, it's a clean tear off the bone. It's yeah. a clean tear well, that's from the, the bone, yeah that's the tendon. The this tendon. is yeah that wouldn't be yeah. oh just the okay yeah I don't I mean just take growth all right next question. <laughs> I've seen people no, do all me, sorts of stuff trying to fill it and stuff. Really. Yeah, yeah it, well know, I did I, we, I did that with a guy one time. He had a little partial tear in the inner side inner of his pec. He's like he bugged him. It wasn't that bad, but it was like a little cut. And I'm like, well, just inject in there and build the scar tissue up. And it actually worked. 
<laughs> filled it up. How long ago did it happen, Patrick? He says he's 33 years old. So, I mean, he's plenty young. He's got a lot of years left, you know. I don't know if they can do anything, but he should go to the doctor and find out is Personal what I think. decision, I guess. Yeah, I would definitely agree to have, you know, a competent, and I say competent because I've had not very good luck with mm. orthopedic uh, specialists here when it came to my hip. I had, if I saw three, I had three different diagnoses, but um, I'm, I'm with Scott. I feel like it's a little bit, I know, speaking for myself, it's out of my wheelhouse. That's just something that I'm just not sure. Even when, even if he comes back and he says it's been X amount of time. I, my best advice was get would be to get to someone who this is in their wheelhouse and and ask them and find out from them. I'd love to give him a better answer than that, but I think in been, fairness, I'm not qualified. It's been two years, so yeah, yeah. yeah. The only that thing I can thing... say is don't go, don't go to the VA. Yeah. They'll they'll probably like fix your calf or something. So yeah, maybe get get some stem cells in there. Maybe that'll do something. Uh, yeah. We have one here. Let's see. Uh, this is uh, mixing uh, daily peptides, GH, insulin, H, uh, HCG, etc., in one syringe. Is it okay to mix water-based daily pins, IM, because of larger volume of the pin, or should they be pinned separately? Separate. I would. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Well, you have different amino acid chains, and they can they can actually break down when you mix them together. Yeah, I've actually seen that. Because I tried, and I'd take my growth and mix it with something else. I can't remember what. And then I would, like, I think even, like, IGF, which was an acetic acid, and then it would turn cloudy. And then I realized, oh, this was probably a big mistake, right? Yeah. All right. Um, Let's see. We had some writing questions. Oh, this is a good one. How to adjust training and nutrition when coming off cycle? Nice. That's a good one. That is an excellent question. Um, excellent. Who it was? Was that from someone on the live feed? It was a write-in. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Um, they wrote a letter, actually. Yeah, I got <laughs> it in the mail just in time in today. Cursive. Yeah, in cursive. Um, coming off of a, can you just? I want to make sure because I'm apparently not paying attention. Coming but off, coming of, off of a coming a off cycle, a cycle, a cycle. Yeah, and we're going to give the same answer. So go ahead. Skip. Transition now. If they're well, it really what it comes down to, your main focus should be, in my opinion, uh, of course, it's just it's recovery. Uh, you don't want your body fat to get out of control and everything else. But I think that that part of it, that part of the equation is overrated when it comes to switching from you're not going to just all of a sudden keep the same caloric intake and become fat while you're on TRT or come off cycle. Um, it can certainly be argued that you, your body demands more calories while you're on cycle that would be more focused on the muscle growing in hypertrophy, but that comes back to insulin sensitivity versus insulin resistance as well. So I'd be very careful pulling the calories back. They probably do need to be pulled back, but I'm more reactive than proactive. Yeah, my clients yeah. listen, they hear me say this all the time. I'm not going to do something because I think something else will happen. I'm going to wait to see that it happens yeah. and then react to it. So if it looks like your condition or a client's condition has changed, or even mine, uh, when I go, if I were to hypothetically go from cycling for six months of prep to going to TRT and hate my life and everything else, but want to make sure recovery is maximized, like let's say right now, um, 
I would want to make sure that I'm reacting to how I feel. The other thing is you got to be very careful to increase recovery time. So your intensity, it's not like you don't want to train intense when you're coming off a cycle, but yeah, the more intense that you're training and especially more frequently, you have to allow, you have to still be able to recover. So it's, might not be a good idea to kick down the intensity, but you got to kick down the frequency. You got to kick down something, volume. Volume, something. yeah. So if it's more of a generic black and white response to someone who's listening, I would say provide more rest days. That'll help right off the bat. And that's a very black and white thing you can do. If you only had one rest day before, then change it to two or three or change it to two first and then three or four weeks later, change it to three where you're only training, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, that sort of thing, uh, or go on a rotation, but don't try to change. Most people can't train a body part twice a week intensely while they're off oh, shit, while they're on and grow, let alone, um, some people can get, get away with it. Depends on volume and frequency. Yep. But when you're off or you're on TRT, good luck training a muscle group intensely twice a week because it's likely not going to happen. And even if it does happen, you probably will be spinning your wheels and it will be wasted time. Recovery is key when you're making that transition to cycle from cycling to either TRT, even TRT. People say, well, I'm on TRT. I'm still going to be your recovery is not going to be what it was while you were on cycle or it shouldn't be. Um, so you got to It's recovery, recovery, recovery. Yeah. Was that what you were going to say, Scott? You said you guys were going to say the same yeah, thing. I got, I got really, I mean, nothing. I was, that's about what I would say. I'd say a little more, eloquently in half the time but that's what i would say <laughs> much more profound i'm sure <laughs> or empirically or whatever word he used earlier yeah that was uh what was the phrase was uh um what, what did i call that what was that term again it was i keep it's implied Empiric or empirically it was uh implicit learning ability yeah. so I, I was telling skip before the show scott that uh so implicit learning ability is the ability to recognize complex patterns, but it's not something you do consciously. It's something you do subconsciously. So a test that they have for this shows these dots that are blinking on a screen and that your job is then to predict where the next dot is going to be after watching it for a while. And people with a good ability were better at predicting where the next one would be. They had no conscious understanding of the pattern, but... Yeah, mm -hmm. we thought, I, we were talking about it because I think that I took that test once. Did you? Yeah, for a job. Yeah, really. You want to tell us about that job, or would you have to kill us if you did? No, yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was uh, I, I got. A, I got a perfect score. Yeah, you have good implicit I learning. Don't, I don't know. They don't really tell you. They just tell you if you did. You know, overall, I remember because we had the the dots would come up. They had other ones where you had to do letter number and letter patterns. What would come up next? Hmm. So. Yeah, but yeah, I, anyway. I remember what job it was for. I did one. So, training and nutrition, you have to adjust not proactively, but reactively. I think that that makes a ton of sense to me. You know what? I've been able to keep my training frequency super high. I bet you I could do it off cycle because I had, but I'm only doing like three sets now. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, yeah. man, I've been finding too. I wish I knew this sooner, but I'm really seeing now, like I used to just for training in general, I used to just tear that muscle down as hard as I could. And I felt like that was better. I wish I would have learned sooner. It's just a matter of doing what you need to do to trigger growth and then getting out to recover. For me, I mean, I understood the rest days were important, but I mean, I'd take a rest day and then just hobble around crippled because I was so sore, mm -hmm. you know, 
Sure. Stimulate, don't annihilate. Oh, yeah. little Lee Haney we reference should, there. We should, we should write that down. We should patent yeah. that. Should dated do. yourself with that one, though. And I dated myself by admitting that I had heard it before and who. But anyway, um, <laughs> the uh, I, I do want to say one thing about the proactive versus reactive. It isn't the only way to do it. I just feel like it's better to do it that way. Um, going on cycle is another example where, you know, a lot of people say, well, I just started my cycle. I'm going to increase my calories or anything else. I, I wait. I wait. Yeah. Not, it, whether it's myself or my client, let's let that hunger kick in. Your hunger is going to tell you or give you a real good idea. And I want to keep the diet and not change very many variables when the cycle starts to see what the cycle is actually doing. And then again, react. To that instead of throwing a bunch of calories in before blood levels even really start to climb all that much and where there really isn't a demand for those calories yet. So again, I just feel that reacting is better than being proactive. Other people or other trainers may feel differently about it, but I'm usually right. So there's that. What about, so you mentioned, you know, whether you're coming down to TRT or you're coming down, like coming off cycle completely. Scott, is there going to be much of a difference between those two things? You know, if, if you know somebody's coming off completely, they're going to be basically at zero test for a while. Would you handle that person differently than with TRT? And if so, how, how, what, what do you have to look at there? I mean, I think I would just take the same approach like Skip was saying. I mean, you know, don't make, don't make rapid changes. Just, you know, I mean, you, well, and also, let me step back. So also you got to think of what are they coming off of? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think you got to take it, you got to take it, you got to, you got to make changes based off what's happening with the person. Okay. Are they really getting really hungry? Um, you know, are they, you know, dropping weight quickly? Um, some, you know, it just, I think just, just go and arbitrarily go, okay, you're coming off of this cycle and you're going on TRT. I'm just going to automatically just switch everything because for one thing, your blood levels take a while to drop down. Mm -hmm. So it gives you some room to play where you can kind of just, you know, tinker with it, you know, kind of um, move things slowly and see where they go. Again, if you've worked with the person before several times, you probably know where they're going to go. So that, that makes a decision making process much easier. Yeah. But you have to, you know, I, I think making any kind of bold, large change, no matter what it is, it could work, but it, it you know, it could work really bad too. So and never, never cut. <clears throat> never cut coming off of a cycle going either to coming completely off or going to TRT. I just think that is, I think it's the quickest way to basically pack man, any gains away that you made while you were on cycle. I think it's a horrible, and, and I, and I see a lot of people do it. They're like, well, you know, now I'm going to lean up a little while you should probably wait until your next cycle starts, which is another variable too. Uh, when are you going to cycle again? Are you going to mm. only be off for 8, 10, 12 weeks? Or are you going to be off for six months? You know, that's going to matter too. Uh, I agree with S2H. I don't think there's really much. There's not any difference in the approach that you're using when you come off cycle to whether you're going to TRT or coming off completely. The approach is still going to be the same in that you're going to react. You're going to make sure that recovery is still good. Will your recovery be even less? If you're coming completely off versus TRT, of course. I mean, that's pretty much a given. So you have to pay attention to those things even that much more if you're coming completely off. Mm. Volume, uh, it's reduced volume, it's reduced frequency, 
uh, that sort of thing. The other component that's not talked about, and I got this is important enough to mention. I'll mention it real quick, and we can move on. But it's also the psychological component of staying motivated. Huh. Uh, I still say to this day, and I'll continue to say it: the reason that people complain when they come off cycle about losing all their gains is primarily because they lose motivation. It's one of two main reasons. They either lose motivation and they're not as consistent and they're not as dialed in and they're not executing like they do while they're on cycle, or they're not making the necessary changes to make sure that their recovery is, or taking into account that their recovery isn't as good. Mm. You can hold a lot of your strength coming off the cycle, if you're able to read the cues and hmm. adjust your recovery and your volume and your frequency, yeah. a lot of it might not, you're not going to hold the same look and you're not going to, you know, your scale weight is probably going to come down a little bit, depending again on what you were on, you know, how much water weight you were holding, long esters, short esters, how fast your blood levels fall off, things like that. A lot of variables there, but it all comes back to recovery, all comes back to recovery. All right. We got one here I'm really excited about because I uh, I might learn something here myself. Juan asks us, uh, what do you think about legs growing in older guys um, above 40? Some people say uh, it's it's natural losing size about that age and legs go first. Whew. I'm going to let my dog out of here, too. She's tap dancing around. So you guys go ahead yeah, and get that's started. A- Go for it. If you want, you want it as to age. Yeah. I mean, um, so I, I would say this, one of the things with older guys and, and leg development, one of the problems is, is when you get older, you have more injuries. Thank you. That's where so, I was going to so go. It's more difficult to do things. You know, uh-huh. like if I, if I went and tried to squat, I probably wouldn't walk for like a month. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I would say I don't think my legs are any smaller than they were 10 years ago. Uh, I think you, you know, as you age, you start to, and some of this when you age has to do with, with, you know, your testosterone levels and stuff. I mean, obviously as you get older, you know, you aromatize testosterone to estrogen more. Let's say you're not on any kind of supplementation. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to start to lose, you know, it's, when your testosterone levels drop, you know, below normal or low, let's say low normal, you obviously cannot, you know, build or retain as much muscle, but I think a lot of it's just more injuries. Yep. You know, I, I completely mean, you really agree. can't get after the legs uh, as you get up. I mean, there's just things I couldn't even, wouldn't even think about doing right now, or even, you know, like I said, even after five, six years ago that I did when I was 22 or 23. Yeah. I think, uh, and I'm, I'm almost proving that with my own physique at this point, I had a really good last couple of years off season, had a great prep, uh, until a couple months ago, but upper body is still doing really well. And and I think I have progressed in a couple areas that I never thought after training this long, especially at this mile marker of being 50 that I, that I would. My legs are lagging behind for two reasons. Number one, I had chronic injuries in my lower back, which is incredibly limiting. I mean, I haven't, I didn't squat over 225 for almost six years. So, and then getting up above 25, there's always, or 225, there's always that, that lower back vulnerability in my mind, whether it's still there or not, it probably is to some degree, but it's nothing of the vulnerability that it used to be. But getting that out of my head is difficult to do. I think that if you take people who are over 40 and you take out the component of lower back and knee issues or problems, I think that the legs, yeah, and hips too, but, but still, if you take that component out, 
the legs wouldn't be any smaller. Mm. I don't think you would see the decline because you could, you know, hormone levels are a good example of people aging, but the people who are competing and the people who are, um, you know, really in it, uh, you know, neck deep in bodybuilding, they're still, they're still cycling and they're still supplementing. So the natural testosterone isn't going to really isn't playing a part. So, I really think that, like you said, I completely agree with you that it is more injury related than anything. That's why you see the Masters pros where their upper body tends to be obviously better than their lower body. They might not have bad legs, but they're not legs that they had in their 30s. And then you can almost see the progression through the, 30, the 30s, the 40s Masters, the 50s Masters, and into the 60s. And when you start to get up there into the 60s, even though there are some still some really impressive physiques that are coming out of, you know, the eighties and the late seventies that are still around and damn it, it's impressive. But you are, you'll see that the legs just over those decades, each decade, they're progressively mm. getting smaller, getting depressed listening. I know. Hey, get wait till you, you trust me. I, it is depressing. It is very, and that's my main focus for this off season yeah. is I want my legs. That's one of the things I noticed during this prep. I'm like, really happy with everything that went on but i mean i can clearly see my legs are probably still two inches less than what they were prior to my back injuries mm. and i'm sitting here going you know what okay i'm 50 uh, next year if i was to compete next year at 51 which is not likely with all the problems i've had i'm still discouraged about the whole thing yeah. i don't want to say i won't but the point is that's not the focus focus right now is on bringing up my legs and at this age i i do have that that doubt in my in my mind that it can actually even happen because I've got to keep so many vulnerabilities contained to be able to really maximize and, and do the type of training. And people may be thinking, well, you can, you know, you can do widowmaker shit. Of course. And my legs respond luckily to high rep failure type, close to failure type shit. Mm -hmm. That's probably what it's gonna to have to be because squatting, even in the Smith machine at six, eight, 12 reps, even at 12 reps is brutal on my legs, my knees, I can wrap them and they can see, but how long can you wrap them and get away with it? I, I don't know if I can do that mm. for a whole year. We're just going to have to, we're going to find out. Yeah. So. I bought a new bar. It's not going to be here for another, um, well, when I ordered it, they said eight to 12 and now the website says 12 to 16 a couple of weeks after I ordered it. I don't know if that means I got in in the eight to 12 window or whether all orders are 12 to 16. Now we'll find out. <laughs> But it's that transformer bar from uh, Kabuki Strength. And it, John Meadows said he really liked it. It took a lot of pressure off his back. And I'm doing everything I can right now to get my squat as perfect as possible. Like I'm doing a bunch of mobility stuff to get my hips and my ankles as loose as possible. I never did that stuff before. Scott, I feel like people in powerlifting are probably more likely to do mobility work to, to improve their lifts or no. Uh, I wouldn't, uh, no, I wouldn't suggest, I know, no? do. I mean, maybe now I'm kind of out of that, that day to day thing people are doing, but no, we didn't do much mobility, but maybe that's why I couldn't <laughs> squat. If I squatted 225 right now for like eight reps, I mean, I'd probably need a wheelchair for a month, you know? So. What bar are you talking about specifically? Is it the one where the weights are loaded it's on your back or on your traps it's like a regular bar but the weights load right around the hip no well it kind of it's it the bar the bar moves so it's like a safety squat bar and you know it goes out and then the sides drop down and but you can um you can adjust them so you can 
pivot the weight forward. So you got the safety squat on. The weight will be kind of in front of you, and then it's like a front squat. You can you can take like there's like I think 24 different positions the bar can be in, and then and then you can make it go behind you more. I want to be able to bring it forward and really mimic that front squat feel. Plus, I just feel like it'll be nice and balanced with that the the safety squat feel. You know the the the, mm-hmm. the, the handles around my neck, and you can also adjust how high the weight is. There's like the weight can be almost right up to like straight level all the way down. Like with the, what do they call that bar Scott? The, like the safety squat bar where it drops down on the sides. Is there a special See, name that's for that what, one? That's the canted offset one. Yeah. So you can, remember. you can offset it too and, yeah. and make it, okay. and that makes it harder, you know? So Skip, like, you should use a safety squat bar. It'd probably be easier on your back. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I was actually going to make note of the fact that I, I cannot use it because it pushes you so far forward that it's actually harder on my back than a regular squat bar. Really? Yeah, it just even standing, just standing straight up. <clears throat> the the I'll way the pads on it though. Yeah, I don't know. I tell you that what I do like is a safety squat bar in a Smith machine. <laughs> but ninety nine percent of my squats these days are in a Smith machine. I I was starting to at the end of the last off season finish my leg training with lighter free bar squats to help with um, to help more because once you get out of a fixed machine and you're just free bar squatting, there's so much more stress put on your hips. Uh, you know, for stability and things like that. So, I mean, I, I started at 135 and would do two or three sets and then went up to 185 at two or three sets and keeping my reps, you know, real high and just really feeling them out. Not even really going for like huge intensity and everything else, but just to kind of finish them off and build in that stability in my hips. Uh, but I got, I got sidetracked at the end of the off season. Mm. And I think I had only gotten up to maybe 225 for you know, three sets of 12 to 15, something like that. But when you don't free squat, when, you know, I haven't free squatted in, fuck, I, I want to say almost probably 10 years if I had to guess and have had the problems with my back. Um, it, it just, I think it gets to the point or it got to the point with me where I was like, Ugh, gosh, I don't know if I'm not really gaining much out of this as far as quad growth, because at that time I was trying to finish the off season with as much growth in my legs as I could. And I felt like it wasn't contributing, that it was tapping more into my recovery by doing more work and, and things. So I just kind of, um, you know, put them to the side. Can you, well, we've talked about, can you grow legs without squats? And you said the answer is yes, that squats are overrated. Well, I think they are, but a lot of people will say, you know, you only say that because you can't do them. <laughs> I, I think there are too many people, um, whether they be top bodybuilders, um, you know, real good regional and national competitors who have gotten excellent, excellent wheels by not free bar, free ball. Let me let me get free ball in there. That's a Freudian free bar squatting, um, you know, all the way up to see. It's hard to compare the gifted pros, you know, the Phil Heath and things like that. You know, Phil, I, I don't think he free squatted, you know, 20 times in his life, quite frankly. But none of us are Phil Heath um, and we're not going to respond with huge, you know, may not respond with huge legs. I what I don't like about free bar squatting is I don't like the new look of legs from from. And I don't want to mention anybody specifically because I don't I don't want to be disrespectful. But this is what I don't like. I don't like massive adductors hmm. and massive glutes and hips on what to the point where it almost makes the bottom of your of you know, I say your or their quads look smaller. 
I don't like that. That's why I like the quads and the leg development more in classic than I do in open, because I think there's much less squatting. They're not as boxy. Their hips and glutes aren't as big. I think that the hips and glutes in the open division are, even in the 212, are out of fucking control. And I don't think it makes for a very good physique. And when you thicken the hips and you thicken the glutes, you're thicken the midsection right along with it. I just don't like the look. John Battles had talked about how like squatting really low will bring out that lower quad. Like going, you know, or, or I'm sure it would be with any movement. But what was the term he used? It was like... I can't remember if they called it like chicken legs or something, but there was a word where like where it's it's uh, maybe it was like I can't remember turn up turn up legs where they're bigger at the top and then smaller at the bottom. Your stance matters, too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're squatting more narrow, which doesn't happen these days, for some reason where I say some reason, I guess there's an obvious reason, but people tend to choose their stance based on how much weight they can move and moving, (laughs) moving, you know, and squatting more as impressive as it is. Um, you know, if we were to go back to the, to the eighties, it's funny to see the raised heel thing come back with the platforms. No one's using 10 pound plates anymore because that's so, that's so 1980s. We have to build specific incline platforms to use now, but nonetheless, the point is back to where the the heel is elevated, and I like that. But what they're not doing typically is they're not narrowing their stance. The mm. stance is still still very wide. Um, yeah, again, I just think that you can build great legs with hacks, leg presses, squatting in the Smith machine, front squat, Sumo squats. I think sissy squats on the new machines that they have. I think that movement is highly underrated hmm. if you want to make dramatic dramatic changes to your quads get rid of leg extensions and instead put sissy squats in there and do them the right way stay upright and it's essentially when you're doing it it should feel like a leg extension hmm. it shouldn't feel like a squat i'm able to do them right now because there's so little hip activation yeah so my leg workouts right now i'm able to train legs but it's seated leg curls not lying because that bothers my hip leg extensions and then sissy squats hmm. and i'm able to do the sissy squats because it it will literally if you're doing them right it'll feel from the bottom position as you're coming out like a leg extension hmm. and it will just blow the shit out of your legs and and i think they're superior to leg extensions personally i think leg extensions are hard on your knees but i could go on and on about leg extensions anyway i've been doing the raised heel thing since about 2013 i think it was vj that got me into that because my stance was too wide and I couldn't get it in narrower without raising my heels. But now all that mobility stuff I'm talking about, I really, really want to make this work. I started it for my shoulder. I wanted to in- improve the mobility. So I'm working on everything through here and all that. But then I started going to the, the squat stuff because I feel like if I could get my ankle flexibility and my hip flexibility better, then maybe I could do that without having to elevate my heels. That's my goal is to be able to get that close stance, be able to plant my feet flat on the floor. Because I do think it would be safer if I could do that. Because when you do elevate your heels, you create more shearing in the knee. And you could still push from the heel, right? But I do feel like it would overall, if you could do it flat, you know, you would be better. You could probably go all your life and never learn how to do that and still grow great legs. But it's kind of like just a personal challenge I want to try to get out of myself right now. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think um, if you want... If you're not sure, anybody listening is not sure 
as to whether uh, or what I'm talking about when it comes to leg training back in the 80s and 90s versus now. Just look at the legs of top national competitors and even the pros. Mm. Look at Lee Haney's legs. Yeah. Even someone who, you know, like Rich Gaspari, who was blockier, he's not known for a giant for giant glutes. And then if you look at the average national level competitor, even top 10, they don't have to be right at the top these days. You have not only massive legs, of course, yeah. but you have massive glutes and hips that are damn near twice as wide and and then get into the waist same thing and, and i'm not saying that squatting big has created the big waist issue um or the big midsection um mm -hmm. or bigger waist but it's certainly in my opinion is contributing the amount of yeah. deadlifts done these days versus 20 years ago oh the yeah amount of, look at even just bent barbell rolling Arnold had a great back. Arnold was gifted. I get it. But then you've got, you know, people like, and Dusty is just the first one that comes to mind. But there's a lot of people who have taken that cue from Dusty. And, you know, I see uh, Justin Harris rowing 405. Like, it's not, people didn't row 405 <laughs> 15, 20 years ago. They didn't do that. If you ever saw that, they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and now it's becoming, I don't want to say common, but it's becoming common amongst those people who can actually pull those weights. Dude, it's and crazy, not, though, how much how it oh, is common, like common, oh, common, because mm -hmm. if you go on Instagram now, you can see people doing crazy stuff that would have stopped the gym, mm -hmm. stopped the gym lifts. You're seeing that on Instagram all day, every day. Totally. You know, 500-pound squat, five-plate squat, or whatever, four-plate squat even. It's like four-plate squat doesn't even get you to get a like anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many times, I don't know you guys, but how many times I've seen Ben Chow press or squat, you know, 10 plates, and it's almost become, oh, he's squatting 10 plates again. Yeah, yeah. It's like you become desensitized to it because that's what I expect from Ben. Yeah, Dusty said that about himself. Height. Yeah, you say. Well, I mean, he's rowing fucking ten plates. For I know. Fuck's sake. I mean, really? He was like, but you do that, and it's like stop. people. People are like, well, I've already seen him do that before. You know, yeah. they they like more like his cooking videos. You know, like yeah, exactly. they don't care that he's gonna how much he lifts anymore. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, I want to see a picture of the dog. Are you yeah. feeding the dog? Oh, he's rowing ten plates again. Whoopty shit. Yeah, I like that. Let's go buy yeah. something else. Oblig obligatory like. <laughs> yeah. Well, so hopefully I can get something going with these legs. I, I don't want to lose them. They're my best that they've ever been now. Like they really are. So, and honestly, man, I think that quarantine even took that a step further. Ooh, one more question. And I wrote it down while we're talking about this. Cycling. Now, I'm not talking about the steroids. I'm talking about cardio. I have oh. never used a bike for cardio I have heard people tell me, I have had clients use it, I've seen success, but I want to hear your experiences. I have heard people do really well with the bike for cardio. And I'll tell you, I've got a little bit of personal experience in that when I was a kid and I didn't lift weights, I got I saved up my money from work. I bought a mountain bike. It was $350. That was like crazy talk money at that time for me, you know? Right. I like I locked that thing up if I left it, you know, it's like nobody else rode it but me type thing. Like I loved that bike, but I rode it everywhere. And by the end of the summer, my legs were huge. Huge. Like I didn't notice it, but a buddy of mine was like, "Dude, your legs look nuts." I looked down. I had the calves then. And but like my my shorts were tight around my leg, you know, yeah, my shorts were tight around my leg, veins and everything. Um I wasn't doing any lifting at that time. Now, 
I feel, and, and then I look at cyclists. Cyclists may not have upper bodies, but some of those dudes have really thick legs. What do you guys think? Because I also, I got, I have another another part of this. With my, my personal home gym here, I'm running out of space. I'm about to knock out a wall, which is going <laughs> to give me about 10 more square feet of space, which will be nice. I'm going to put a um, functional trainer in there and nice. a, a, um, a lever-style chest machine. Um, I'm going to have just enough room to squeeze in one bike because I'm not going to have enough room for a treadmill down here. What do you guys think about cycling for cardio? And what do you think about uh, leg development with, with cycling? Take it stage. So my number one thing when I do cardio, which I'm not doing right now is a recumbent bike. Okay. <clears throat> I can't do the regular upright bike cause I broke my tailbone years ago and it just bugs the shit out of me to sit on a bike that way. But I do the recumbent bike and what I'll do is I'll pedal like with my feet in a normal position for a while. And then I'll move my heels up on the pedal okay. and then you, you'll smoke your hamstrings when you get your heels up on the pedals. I mean, I love the, I love recumbent bike. If you get the you, one thing you can get lazy on a recumbent bike. So you have to push yourself. Get, hmm. I put it on the program. So it kind of makes me exert a lot of, uh, energy. Uh, but yeah, I like the recumbent bike. I was thinking about getting a spin bike and you can clip in to those yeah. and then you can those not only push, you know. but you can pull too. Cause I, yeah, my outdoor bike has, has clip in pedals so you can pull and use your hamstring, but you don't, you, I used you to see. go to the spin class and, uh, I couldn't wait for the instructor to say, get out of the seat. Cause that, that seat was just tearing me up. Hmm. You know, I, I can't sit in it, but the recumbent bike I like. Okay. Here's what I think when it comes to, <laughs> um, using, bikes uh a couple things number one the clip-ins foot position where that pedal is on your foot is huge uh, for starters if you're using clip-ins and and people who might have a history of cycling might correct me and and if you do have a history correct me because it is outside of my wheelhouse the way i understand it is there is supposed to be their quads might be big for cyclists but their calves are typically big too because there's a lot like with the clippings oh. are a good example it keeps you're supposed to keep the pedal closer to the ball of your foot because the calf can take so much more work oh. and so much more um, before it fatigues than the major muscles um, above the knee so that's number one there is a lot of pull no matter what with the hamstring so that I'd agree with what I'm saying though is if you have if you're clipping in you're probably going to get more calf work which you don't want and less quad work even though unless your focus on hamstring work here's what i think about though when it comes to cardio i think that bikes are not a good idea mm. for regular cardio for body fat burn purposes and i'll tell you why okay. if you take 10 people nine and a half their quads will be on fire like someone's holding a blowtorch to them mm. three minutes in trying to get to a heart rate of like 120 the more the resistance increases the more that obviously have it to me it just and myself personally i i hate it because i don't hit that anaerobic threshold yeah they will be on fire so here's what i would say if you're having problems with quad development hamstring development it would not be a bad idea to use something like a bike with resistance and like uh, s2h was saying um potentially do you know hit or you know with different levels and things like that so that it can the machine can control the intensity and the variables and you just sit there and pound it out and execute it probably could be used for growth. Say at the end of a leg workout, it might be a nice addition for growth. But I would place 
significance, quite a bit of significance on importance on foot position on the pedal. Because I agree with S2H. I think that it should not be on the ball of your foot. And if you could push that pedal halfway through, like like between the ball of your foot and the heel of your foot, or even the heel, mm-hmm. you're probably going to blow the fuck out of your legs to finish them off after a leg session. No calves. No Jean-Pierre yeah, exactly. Fuchs. Heel, heel, you won't hit the calf. Yep. And you, okay. Scott, you need calf work like I need a hole in my head. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jean-Pierre Fuchs did a routine where he would bike really hard for a, a number of minutes and then he would get off of that and immediately squat. Oh, damn. Yeah. See, I would do it the other way. But you know what? <laughs> the more I think about it, Jean-Pierre Fuchs is about five times my size, I'm I'm pretty sure. So uh, I would defer to him when it comes to – I don't care if he picked his parents right and everything else and yeah. think I'm a relatively smart guy. I'd listen to him. <laughs> He's bigger. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate the input too. Kind of a selfish question I had there at the end of that one. Uh, And also what I'm going to do is make myself go to the gym, which I've only been to the gym once in the last six weeks. And I am going to use their bike for cardio because I haven't done it yet. I did it once now. I got to, I got to get some more experience. I'm going to admit, I'm going to admit that. And and it's been a long time. I mean, I've been in doing this shit for a long time, but the hamster wheel, the hamster on the wheel in my head is running since we started this conversation about three minutes ago, because I said, you know, this is going to be my focus in the off season. I'm as we're talking, I'm thinking to myself, damn, I would not have thought of that. I could finish my leg training with a couple bursts. Uh, yeah. You know, a minute, minute and a half thinking, hmm, let me, I'm going to mull this over because this may be something that I add. And, and if you're going to do it, we could compare notes over the next five, six months, see how things are going. I like this. But I'm, I'm intrigued. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking, hmm, how can I incorporate this? Because it would have been something, it's outside of the box, clearly. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I would have even given much thought to. So, um, but it's, I'm intrigued. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mull it over. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too, is when I, I, so I've had two knee surgeries, um, they had took out like, I think it was like 85% of the cartilage out of my left knee. And while they oh. were in there, they realized that my ACL was torn. So later I did a second surgery, ACL reconstruction. And the number one rehab they had for me was the bike. And I did that as rehab and I did it as prehab for the ACL prehab and then rehab for that as well. Mm-hmm. That's but, no impact. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you know what? I got development out of it. Now, granted I was untrained. I wasn't training at that time, but right. just the bike alone, like my teardrop started getting rounder, you know, you could see development. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's gotta be something to it. So the only thing I would say with cyclists is you got to keep in mind that even though they have big quads, if you were to put those quads up next to like, if they were to have a regular size upper body, those legs might not stand out as much. So I don't know that they would necessarily like if you only did that or if that was your primary focus, if it would help too much, but with resistance, it would probably be, um, it would, there's potential there for it to be, you know, because I don't know about you, but the quad development I've seen on cyclists, it's not like, it's like they, from a visual standpoint, it looks like they've been squatting. Yeah. There's actually pretty good, full development there it's it's actually kind of surprising but i do try to take into consideration too their upper bodies are small so there's a little bit of a visual illusion there going on but um their calves are usually you know of course retarded too so there's that so got the wheels turning for sure yeah 
Well, let's let's talk about it some more too. You know, down the road, we'll figure something out. Sure. Let's see. We've got another one here from Stefan. He says, um, "Hey guys, my question is if uh, oh aspirating." He says, uh, um, "Let's see. Um, basically, do you have to aspirate?" I've never aspirated. I could probably count on less than the fingers on one hand. I'd aspirate. Now, what about, he says, too, um, he says, my friend, from time to time, he'll see some blood in the syringe. Does he, you know, penny, does he, uh, so he thinks, oh, he's really talking about himself because he's putting this in quotes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Stefan. That's because um, he's aspirating. Thinks he has to pin in a different spot. Um, I wonder this, dude. I remember I had like a hematoma from from gear, basically. And mm-hmm. I've had that happen more than once, where if you're running a cycle on a real regular basis, you're pinning, and you stick it in there, mm-hmm. and you draw back, and there's blood. I don't know if I was, I don't think I was in a vein. I think that I just had, like, damage going on. I could have vein. I mean, I've, I've had in my bathroom, like, a murder scene before. Yeah. I mean, just It'll happen, but, it's, but I think you'd agree, probably, at S2H, it's not common, but it can happen. Well, the other thing, too, is, is if you pull out the pin and you it literally sprays on the wall that doesn't mean that you inject it into a vein it means that you nine out of ten times you've gone through one but here you bringing up the point about the hematoma is the reason that i will always aspirate here's what i don't do and so i'm going to split this a little bit between the scots if i'm going into say my lats where i rarely go I won't aspirate because I know there's no fucking hematoma in there. And it's so yeah. nice because it's like butter. But if I go into my legs where there's like, you've seen the MRIs <laughs> there, I have like walnuts scattered all over my fucking outer uh, top of my quads where there are pockets. And if you just do not want to accidentally inject into uh, what is essentially a pocket of, well, you don't want to go into it anyway because it's encapsulated because it's keeping it from <laughs> circulating throughout your body because there's probably noxious toxin, you know, toxic shit in there. You don't want to hit it. Um, I think nine, number one, if you inject into a vein and you continually inject into a vein, here's how you'll know. It will feel like fucking battery acid mm. moving. Like if it's in your shoulder, you do it in your side out, moving slowly towards your lung. And it is probably one of them. And I've had nerve. I have nerve damage that I live with. I've had hip. I've had lower back issues where I've said I'm going to shit in my fucking bed instead of get up. I know a little bit about pain. And this one had me. So I was I ripped out the fucking pin. I'm punching myself trying to distract myself from the pain because it literally felt like battery acid moving through that vein. It ain't that bad, Skip. It is horrible, and you are lying. It's, it's only happened three times in my life. I can tell now he's being a dick, sarcastic asshole. It is fucking bad. Just to be clear with anybody, it is fucking A bad. Anyway, um, a lot of times what will happen is people tend to think, oh, I saw a little bit of blood. Oh, I must have gone. And you typically have gone through a vein. The um, aspirating, let me tell you, people listening, if, you're, if you have questions about aspiration, here's the thing. You don't have to ream back and like you're doing a deadlift or, a, or mm. a, a, an upright row to get the blood. If you are truly in a vein, the second you start to pull back that that barrel of that syringe wants to start to fill up 
with blood. It's going to be, it's going to come into the syringe very easily and you will damn well know, oh shit, that's a lot of blood. I'm in a vein. Here's one more thing that is very, very important that I got to get in here. Once you get your um, needle injected, you want to make very sure that the needle doesn't move while you're injecting, because mm. let's just say you've gone barely past a vein. This is your vein. <laughs> this is, this is your, um, pin. If while you're fucking around, it happens to come out or you pull back just a little bit, you're in the vein now and you don't fucking know. Yeah. So the last half of your shot, you're injecting into that vein. You want to make sure what I do is I put my two fingers against my skin, whether it be my quad, my delt, whatever, so that it doesn't move while I'm injecting it. That way it won't be going up and down. or I won't be like, oh, I'm starting to pull it out. Didn't really notice that because as you plunge. Mm hmm. If you don't hold the base, it's going to move nine out of ten, unless you're just jamming it in and you're indenting the skin, which you can do too. But there will still be fluctuation versus if you keep your fingers there, right on the base. It's like uh, the base where it screws into the syringe against the skin of the body part that you're injecting. That's, in my opinion, the best way to do it. And I am, I think we can all agree, a professional drug user. Thank you. I, 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 I don't, I mean, you have thousands of veins in your body. Okay, if you're injecting into your jugular or your femoral, it's a little different. But, I mean, I've never aspirated. Think If anybody thinks reasonably, this is what I say. If you've been in the, you've been in the doctor, you've been in the hospital, surgery, whatever, has anybody ever aspirated? No. For an they don't injection. assume people have had any um, pockets of whether it be a hematoma or anything else either. Remember, they thought my hematoma was a fucking tumor. Even though I told them of my gear. Yeah, then why are you giving pinning advice? <laughs> I'm not one. talking about me. I'm talking about the medical staff. The medical staff assumed that it was a tumor even after I gave them, <clears throat> excuse me, my history. And they knew I was there because of an injection. And well, they, they still thought, thought you were fucking... screwed up and looked at you. And that guy's got to have a tumor. Now, have, you had, have you had one? Have you had a shot move up a vein before? Because, I mean, you're being I've had, had to, I've had them surgically removed. Okay, Wait, well, what? what I'm saying is you know the pain I'm talking about, right? It wasn't that painful. Okay, well, you didn't have what I had then. I don't know how to – I'm just, not trying to one-up you. Just, I'm not, no, it's, I've never had anything that was like – Three times in my life I've had them, and I can – I know it's three, and I do not want number four. It was – Horrible. The burning. I mean, I laugh and say it felt like it was sulfuric acid or something. H2SO4 going through my fucking vein. I mean, as it moved up slowly, I'm like, oh, my God, it's going it's coming my for fucking me. Lung. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm like freaking the fuck out. Yeah. It was horrible. And when I pulled the pin out, it's not like it hit the fucking wall or anything else. Actually, to hit the wall, doesn't it have to be? I mean, I don't want to sound like a dumbass here, but that wouldn't be a, a vein. That would be like, would you have not hit? Like a small artery. It would have to be an artery, right? Because it would be, I mean, it was literally, you had it, right? You guys have had it. It's like a, it's spray. It'll spray with your fucking, like with your pulse. Like, yeah. oh my God, like the wall is sprayed my whole shower. Floor. That's uh, what I'm shower, saying. You know, door. Yeah, it's, I don't it's know. terrible. Maybe, I had to repaint yeah. the fucking wall. Like seriously, it wouldn't, it wasn't going to come off. That's Jeez. nasty. I've just never aspirated. I never had a problem. Hmm. So you have, there's your answer. One, aspirate. Two, not aspirate. Break the tie, Scott. Aspirate mm. or no. Well, being that we are here to provide safety, 
safety. Yes. So basically, yeah. you don't ask. Don't listen. To no, skip. I, I, <laughs> I skips here. Jesus. <laughs> I I will say aspirate. I'll say that it's better to be safe than sorry. I don't you aspirate. Ask- I don't aspirate uh, like a GH shot in my delt, which I do. Sure. I am, you know, I do with uh, I do with uh, with test though, or you know, with my TRT. I'll say. Yeah. How about this? You're better safe than sorry. That's what sense. I think. I mean, you lose nothing by aspirating. Yeah. But you could be that one in, you know, two thousand shots that it's just right, and it's either in a, like you said, a hematoma or something that you know, a pocket, or it's in a fucking vein. Yeah. Yeah. I figured. Yeah. Better be safe than sorry. That's all we got, yeah. though, guys. This has been another episode of uh, BSG. Um, I'm really looking forward to checking out this this whole. I wanna. I want this to work. My fear with the bike is that I haven't used it to get lean before. And my fear is that I'm not going to be able to get lean on it like I would on my traditional treadmill or, or stepper. Well, see, I won't use it to get lean. I'll just use it. I would count it as part of my leg training. Yeah. That's how I would look. I wouldn't even look at it as cardio myself personally. Yeah. I, uh, when it comes to getting lean, all the only thing that matters is HR. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you can talk your, well, I can't do that because it's Victoria and I like her. But let's say you had a girlfriend that I did not know and I had zero respect for. I would say talk her into having sex and you constantly check in your Fitbit to make sure that your HR is between 120 and 130. There's your fucking cardio. It doesn't matter what you do for cardio as long as you're not taxing your CNS. Elevate and maintain your heart rate. Doesn't matter what you're doing. That would work if we were, you know, actually together. But Ah, due to the COVID. And all that. Yes. FaceTime. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the same. I heard I heard a thing. They were saying they were talking about the amount of calories you burn during sex is actually pretty low. But then they were saying the amount of calories that you burn during masturbation is like none. So there's. there's yeah. Well, I'm quitting that now. Yeah. Can't count, <laughs> that, can't count that as cardio anymore. There is to S to H. forearm gets pretty pumped, though. Yeah. Uh, you got to become ambidextrous, so you're going to become asymmetrical. All right. That's, well, that's all we got. Guys, of course, go over to uh, teamskip.com. Check out everything Skip's got going on. And uh, you can go to, uh, what is it? The Elite FTS. You, you skip, yeah. skip does some writing over there. In fact, I was looking at your article. It's called I Know Shit. Yeah. Is that the way you say it? I, I know shit. But that's what I just said. It is, I know shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know titles, shit. So I didn't get that one right. But anyway, whatever. It's 35 gems, one for every year that I've trained. Huh? Huh, Scott? Okay. <laughs> we all know that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm just reminding everybody. Uh, just little gems, little little tidbit things that are all over the place from no rhyme or reason, hmm. uh, no sequence, training, nutrition, supplementation. Check it out. Three relationship red flags for bodybuilders. I like that. A lot of good stuff in there. And of course, like uh, go to, go check out um who else do we have? We've got um of course uh, getazoff.com. That's A Z O T H. And <laughs> we have uh supplementneeds.co.uk. Check them out too. All right guys, we'll see you soon. Later.